Hi, it's Henry Holland, and welcome to What Were You Thinking? Brought to you with Vestiaire Collective. It's me, that rhyming t shirt guy from Ramsbottom. Before we get started, I just wanted you to know that this podcast is not about my guests' fashion fails. It's all about the fashion moments that have shaped their lives personally or professionally. Like Christina's leather chaps, anyone? Alexa's dungarees? Or even Billy Porter's iconic red carpet extravaganzas? Every single one of us has their own personal fashion history that have helped inform important moments and times in their lives. And we want to know how, why, and really though, what were you thinking? Follow along with today's episode on our Instagram page and make sure you check out the pictures of exactly what it is we're going on about. We're What Were You Thinking podcast on Instagram and we're even on TikTok and Twitter at WWYT underscore podcast. FYI, I'm hung, Alexa Chung. Androgynous, gamine, effortless. There are words used in the fashion vernacular that are so synonymous with Alexa that I don't doubt that she's far behind joining Delia Smith in the Oxford Dictionary as a verb. So what exactly is doing an Alexa? And does she really give a shit? Does she feel added pressure at being labelled a style maven? Or is she sick to the back teeth of people talking about the clothes she wears? It's so clear to me that Alexa has a strong sense of self of who she is and how she wants to be portrayed. And she uses her clothing in a very definitive way to express herself and her looks always have a distinct point of view. Is that a conscious thing? And how has her relationship with fashion changed since she started her own label? Let's find out. Hi. Hi, Alexa. Hi. (laughs) Great. And thanks for the intro, Henry. That was great. Did you like that? Did I read it in the way you wrote it? Or did you envisage it being... I didn't write it. Dick. Um, No, it's fabulous. Good. Yeah. I can't can't wait till you join the Oxford English Dictionary. I think we should definitely have a party where we all wear librarian outfits. The problem is now the Alexa machine exists like the echo or whatever it's called oh yeah which i pretend doesn't exist i'm like i've never heard of her like mariah (laughs) (laughs) oh my god it's your it's it's your j-lo mariah moment i don't know know her (laughs) but i unfortunately i do i do know her and she's really superseded any other uh place i might have had as um the only famous alexa so it's almost like the kylie versus kylie lawsuit you could have really gone in on hang on a minute kylie minogue uh, sued Kylie Jenner. Kylie Minogue put a cease and desist on Kylie Jenner registering the name Kylie as a trademark because she was like, excuse me, <laughs> excuse me. How did it go? I don't think it went well, did it? Because she's the youngest. Minogue won. Did she? So what does so what does Kylie Jenner call her makeup then? It's Kylie makeup or Kylie skin, but she can't trademark just Kylie. It didn't get in the ra- in the way of her earning billions, did it really? No, no. No. Okay, so thank you so much for coming on and I'm so excited to actually talk fashion with you. Like, we've known each other for so long, but we've never sat down on a sofa and been like, let's talk about the way you dress. Let's dress. Well, we, we have had chats, but it's usually about, like, you know, devastating business choices, etc., rather than, like, fun outfit vibes. <laughs> usually when I see you, I'm like, do you know anyone that wants to give me any money? <laughs> <laughs> but... I want to start by talking about your kind of first uh, first job in the public eye, I suppose. So Pop World. Yeah. You'd been a model in the past and you'd worked with friends of ours. And so you'd been in the fashion industry. So when you went into TV, how did you feel about fashion at that time? Were you kind of anti it? Were you over it? Or was it really important to you? I think when I first started modelling, I was scouted at um, the clothes show live because I was there with the textiles class. I was always really interested in fashion. Then I started modeling and in my mind, I worked at a pub by the way at the weekends as like uh, the um, pudding trolley girl because I was, what? <laughs> yeah, so I was chronically shy so I couldn't take orders or like do anything that meant interacting too much with the customers because I was really embarrassed and like <laughs> awkward. So they put me on the pudding trolley duty because I just had to roll it out and show them the array of cakes etc and then just serve them up anyway that's by the by did you have a baked alaska 
No. And did they name it the Baked Alexa? <laughs> oh, still got it. Um, I don't remember, but I think it wasn't that sophisticated. I think it was more like um, Trifle. Okay. Trifle was the big one. Anyway, um, when I got scouted for modelling, I handed in my notice very proudly to this pub I worked in at the weekends just every Sunday and was like, <laughs> I'm going to be so rich now. I don't need to work here. Then proceeded to like not get booked for a job for a solid eight months. So the type of modeling that I was doing, it wasn't like I was immersed in, you know, the hoi polloi of like high fashion. I was very much a teen model, a commercial model doing kind of footwear campaigns or shooting catalogue in Manchester or... But did that leave a bad taste in your mouth about the fashion industry? Were you kind of a bit like sort of disillusioned by it? Like, oh, they... I didn't like it. Or... I think by nature, I'm a people pleaser. And so I was, I always just wanted to do my best at my job. So like I actually ended up being consistently booked by teen magazines because I would just do whatever they told me to. If they were like, jump in that ice bath. Okay, now you have to stand on a bed on one leg for seven hours. I'd be like, okay. <laughs> um, but But I didn't ever get to wear the clothes that I dreamed of wearing. I was more wearing like the... Um, more affordable version. So I think even though at the time it was frustrating to like not be doing this dream job that I thought would mean I'd be catwalking for, you know, Prada or whatever. In the end, I ended up wearing like the high street version of a filtered down thing. It actually exposed me to affordable fashion and how to style it in a aspirational way. It was your education, right? Yeah, I think... It was like your fashion education. Absolutely. And it also was like, they were the clothes I could afford as well. So I think when we talk about transitioning to television, um, I naturally wore vintage with High Street. And then with the budget I was afforded, I would buy one aspirational designer thing and mix it all in. If voila, high low. Hey, did did you ever have a stylist on Pop World or did you just, you did it yourself? I did. Well, I think the, the other thing that was like really lucky is that I became friends with a stylist called Steph Stevens, who is still a friend today. And I still work with her actually on shoots and things. And she really was so smart because, you know, I, I got the job and, and they said, oh, you, you get to have a stylist if you want that can help you get all the clothes because you have to write the script, host the show, da, da, da. So you can have help in that department. And she and I would go shopping together and she would advise on like how to spend the budget, how to split it. Because I was like 22 and really keen on just fluffing it all on one Chanel item rather than being smart about it. And going down the hallway. (laughs) Yeah. You know, on TV at the time, I look at the presenters and they all dressed really smart for TV. And I didn't feel like a kinship to anyone in particular, other than maybe Makita, who was, you know, looked like herself and was young and cool. But other than that, I didn't want to look perfect, like a kind of primetime dolly. And Steph was like, no, you shouldn't. You should wear your vintage band T-shirts and a cardigan and like whatever, just do... So she kind of doubled down on the idea that you shouldn't alter yourself to present yourself in a certain way just because you're on TV. And instead, it would be interesting to actually just be myself that's amazing advice to ha- to have been given so early on as well because some stylists could have come in and be like okay this is my chance i can create this new character and been like she only wears green on wednesdays or something horrific whereas steph was just like no you need to be you not just that but i think it really helped with the presenting side of things because as you know when you're hosting something especially when we were younger it is an intimidating thing and an unnatural position to be in. And I've always felt like clothes have been a sanctuary for me to really express myself or to really feel like myself. So if I'm wearing something because I'm being forced to, it feels really weird. And I I can't imagine how I would have dealt with already feeling intimidated interviewing like Red Hot Chili Peppers or people I deemed really famous, like, you know, Paul McCartney. You can't do that and come at it from a, your own point of view without being dressed as yourself, you know? it's It wasn't performative, it was like there was an innocence to it, which I really appreciate now. We'll be right back after this. In case you've been living under a rock and you haven't noticed, this podcast is in partnership with Vestia Collective. That's au français for chère de wardrobe, darling the leading global platform for pre-loved fashion. 
there are currently over 1.6 million fashion items available to purchase from every brand you could ever imagine. And over 50,000 new ones are added every single week. Download the Vestiaire Collective app and use my promo code HENRY at the checkout for 20 quid off when you spend 150. Full T's and C's on vestiairecollective.com. Au revoir. When did you first realise that people were paying attention to what you were wearing and how you were dressing and like all of those get the look features that I was probably doing at my day job in magazines at the time? <laughs> it was you! <laughs> Dressed like Alexa for twelve ninety nine, Jane Norman, yeah. Oh, I love Jane Norman, bring it back. R.I.P. You know, it's, it's interesting because it was a very different time and it was pre-social media, but it was right at the beginning of, you know, MySpace was happening, Facebook was yet to be born. So there was like Friendster, etc. But off the back of that, fashion blogs started coming up. There was one called The Fashion Spot. That can be vicious, The Fashion Spot. It could be really vicious. Yeah. <laughs> Never put your name into The Fashion Spot on a quiet Sunday afternoon. Well, because I was dating band members, which is a real luxury perk of working on a music show. Yeah. Someone who found out that I got a job on Pop Up was like, oh my God, you're like going to be a kid in a candy store. I was like, ah, <laughs> I finally get to meet them. And you were like, nailed it. Smashed life. <laughs> I was more interested in, they used to do accounts for famous band members. So they'd do fuck yeah, Marilyn Manson or fuck yeah, da da da. And it was all, so I was more interested in the music yeah, blogs. Yeah, but yeah. I noticed that I was creeping up when I was ferociously Googling myself on the fashion spot. So I think when fashion blogs started happening and there probably wasn't that much to write about, like maybe I was easy pickings. As I say, I was wearing semi-relatable clothes because it was the top shop dress that probably everyone had, but then I'd style it. But T4 was always like really culturally relevant, like those shows at that time of day and Pop World and, you know, like you were saying, it was like covering like the music scene and all of that. So it was always going to be like a culturally relevant thing to like really put you out there in that to that audience yeah and they were really cool I mean I've worked with producers since on TV shows afterwards and I've still yet to experience a television production that was as fun as Pop World was and as kind of free you know they used to let um, I hosted with Alex Zane and it, they used to let us write the script ourselves the night before in a pub get smashed go to Century Club till like 2am then crawl to work at 7am keep the drivers waiting like it was absolute mayhem <laughs> and then you know host the show from 9am and it, we were very badly behaved and they were just so free they were like wear whatever you want say whatever you want basically do whatever you want and that's what made it well because it was obviously working I reckon well, I don't know, it got cancelled after a couple of seasons. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> so when you did start to notice that people were paying attention, did it change the way you dressed in any way? Did it, did it make you think differently? Were you like, oh, shit, I'm going to have to step it up? Or did you care? No, because I think with clothes, I've just always loved them. And I've always, I just love getting dressed. I, I absolutely love clothes. I'm like constantly doing a weird stock take in my mind. I'm like a train spotter for clothes. And even if it's not to my personal taste, I'll still pay attention to it. The only thing that altered things was that I started being sent free things that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to afford. And I think that maybe elevated mm. the wardrobe, obviously, because I remember going into Harvey Nichols and I couldn't afford, I really wanted that Mew Mew collection where it was the uh, trapeze one where they had the white Peter Pan collars and the circle skirts and like all this lovely stuff. And I yeah. couldn't afford it, but I could afford the detachable collar. And so I spent the money on this white collar that then I put on everything, which became like a whole Peter Pan issue. But I like that actually that limitation ended up in creativity. But no, I it just allowed me to expand my wardrobe, but I don't think it changed my style per se. But Hen... yeah. Do you remember, this is like a bit past that time, but not far. We went to Paris once and I was DJing for Karl Lagerfeld for Fendi, that Fendi night. And I met you for a drink in the bar at Le Maurice. And I was wearing Zara. I was wearing head to toe Zara outfit. And you were like, aren't you going to a Fendi thing? And I was like, yeah, but I didn't like the clothes. And you were like, you have to wear the brand that's paying you to DJ. And I was like, yeah, but I didn't like the clothes. And you were like, well... 
hate to break it to you, but those shoes you're wearing are actually a Fendi ripoff anyway. So jokes on you. And it was like a Devil Wears Prada moment where you're like, that's not just blue. <laughs> <laughs> that's cerulean blue. It's cerulean blue. I remember that drink at the Maurice. I don't remember the, I mean, it's definitely something I would say. Yeah. Anyway, you were, you were educating me at that time when we started doing Frock Me together. I was trying to prevent you suffering the same embarrassment that me and Aggie suffered at Nobu in London when Carl Lagerfeld asked us to turn down Whitney Houston when we were DJing his Chanel dinner. Oh no. He came to the DJ booth and was like, Oh my God, sick though. That he... <laughs> like lower it with his hand. I was like, Oh my God, Ags, we just got bollocked by Carl. He actually was a real music aficionado. He loved yeah, music. He was obsessed. He had like all those iPods, even though everyone stopped using iPods and he? he was obsessed with his iPods. Well, because one time I was like, oh, you know, I'm so grateful to Carl for inviting me to Chanel shows and like all of this. How can I show my appreciation? So I asked the team at Chanel and I said, oh, is there something I could send him? I don't want to get the flowers wrong or whatever. And they said, yes, he accepts iPods filled with music and I was like I'm not gonna buy him a fucking iPod <laughs> I just wanted to write him a letter and get the address right to be honest with you <laughs> <laughs> um okay so from this time I've kind of been doing endless research on uh, pictures of you which has actually been really uh fascinating but there's a picture of you in it's kind of like a paisley sort of folky smock dress uh, um an enemy red carpet um and from my extensive googling i reckon this is the earliest pap shot that i can find of you from the kind of the pop world years tell me about that dress this dress is a vintage dress that i still have and still love so it's navy blue velvet paisley dress with a kind of bell sleeve and a blue velvet uh top bit and then it's an empire line vibe and i turned up to this enemy event because i just started going out and when i first started going out i went out in camden even though i'm now like a diehard east londoner camden at that time was the place to be everything was kicking off the Hawley Arms. We nearly lived together in Camden. Do you remember that? We went to look at a flat together. Yeah, but do you remember why I couldn't move in? Because there wasn't enough room for my clothes. Oh, yes. <laughs> you were like, yeah, no, it's just not going to work. There's just not enough wardrobe space. It's not going to work. It wasn't enough space. Anyway, so Camden was like hot on the scene. Hawley Arms was in full swing. Razor light were big. Yeah. Um, it was pre the punch up. He was dating Kiss and dancing, attending the Met Gala in cowboy boots. I was gonna talk about that. That was the year I went. We're gonna get to the Met Baller and Razor Lights cowboy boots. Oh my God. <laughs> it's just full circle. Full circle. Um, Amy Winehouse was not yet proper Amy Winehouse. She was just Amy Winehouse at the bar at the Hawley. Pierce Lip. Exactly. The horrors had just emerged from their cave. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. As were massive. Anyway. So I was on this TV show, my dream job, hosting music shows. And so I was invited to this enemy party, or at least it was a gig at the Roundhouse. So I attended, but that day I'd broken up with a boyfriend and managed to fit in a haircut somehow. <laughs> Why you broke up with your boyfriend? He was having some sort of crisis and you were like, sorry, I'm getting a fringe. No, I think he dumped me because I got a pudding bowl fringe. <laughs> <laughs> it was disgusting. My mistake. Um, no, anyway, so I had this dodgy haircut. Um, it's the only bad haircut George has potentially ever given me. And this is why a friend of mine refers to me as dog in a wig, because she thinks I look in that picture much like a spaniel. <laughs> and I went to this party and I loved it and it was so fun. And I hung out with the horrors, aforementioned horrors, who later became friends of mine. And then I remember it was the first newspaper article about me. And I remember it because I was in trouble because it said I was like flirting with one of the horrors. And I had literally broken up with my boyfriend that day. It was just like a really bad look. And it also wasn't true. And that was my first brush with how cruel the media can be. Oh, and there you have it. <laughs> but mainly that they said that I was wearing grandma curtains. They said that my dress looked like grandma's curtains. But that's one of the things. So like looking, yeah. I've been sort of looking at lots of pictures of you and your style and kind of the evolution and the change. One of the things like in the introduction that I say, it's like you've always got a really strong sense of self and what you wear. So like, even though they said you were wearing grandma curtains, you've still got that dress and you still love it. And you're like, fuck you, I'm going to wear it with a sandal and a sock. <laughs> potentially <laughs> well I think and this is something that then we've later tried to imbue my own brand with but I think there is I am naturally and I wouldn't say it's rebellious it's more like contrary 
So if someone expects me to do something, I don't do it. Even though I'm a goody two shoes and the people is that at the same time, like I have something in me that like doesn't want to be predictable. And yeah, I think that's where that comes from. Like having the gumption to like continue to wear things that slightly annoy or confuse people is because I don't want to be pigeonholed in a thing, in a thing. Yeah. Can you remember the last time you wore the dress or is it just one of those ones you keep because you can't throw it? I wore it quite recently. I really wore it quite recently. I really love it. On Pop World at the time, you know, I buy a lot of vintage things that didn't fit me and our way of um, making them fit, Makita used to do this as well, is like we would chop off the hem to as short as possible and then turn it up and then just gaffer tape it <laughs> up rather than sewing it because no one would ever see. So half of the stuff I'm wearing on Pop World is gaffer taped or stapled at the back. So if a dress was too big, I'd hunch it together and then just get Alex Zane to like staple it up the back for me. Oh, wow. Because I would never turn around. You must have been thrilled when we got to frock me and there was a studio floor full of kids on sewing machines. Couldn't believe my luck. <laughs> <laughs> never seen such riches. <laughs> but I'm glad you kept it. I think that's that's uh, that's definitely the right decision. I kept it and I cherish it. And actually I have a box in my attic of all of the clothes I had on Pop World. One of the upsides of being cancelled quite soon is that I was able to keep them all. But just because... Just in one box. (laughs) But I'm like, you know, I have a real emotional attachment to clothes and I find it very hard to part with things, even if they're just from Topshop or whatever. And I know they have no sort of value necessarily. To me, they're really like precious treasures because I'm like, this is what I was wearing when I first did my first episode or... This is what I was wearing when I interviewed um, Dave Grohl or something. They're like my photo albums. Yeah. So like when my husband kicks off at me and he's like, you can't keep all this stuff, you can't keep all this stuff. I found like my MySpace box the other week. What do you mean your MySpace box? You have a real life 3D version of an internet. It's the ridiculous new rave clothes I was wearing when my (gasps) life revolved around MySpace profile pictures. And I've got like a Karen Walker orange leopard print t-shirt that says young, willing and eager on the front oh my god stunning <laughs> which, i love that which kelly osborne wore to the mtv awards that year she went with avril lavigne with all those stennies hanging out of her head oh yeah wait your actual t-shirt or you bought it because of that yeah i bought it from karen walker around that time but like and it's got like a bernard willem vest in it and i'm like i can't throw that away that was my myspace profile picture for like a year <laughs> and david's like no you can did you throw it away no. Good, good, good. I think you should keep them because it's like, especially for someone whose expressive language is style and getting dressed and like, you know, having a life in fashion. I think yeah. they're just as important as diary entries in a way. It's yeah, like, exactly. we're too thick to write, but we sure can put on a jumper. <laughs> <laughs> when people talk about an event or something, they'll be like, oh, do you remember when we did that? And I'll be like, I don't know, what were you wearing? And then they'll be like... Yeah. <laughs> And they'll be like, oh, like some pink dress and a white train. I'll be like, oh, yeah. And you did that thing. And then you fell over and you threw up in my shoes. And they're like, how do you remember it? Because like my my visual memory. Moving on to the next era in your life, I suppose, or like period that I want to talk about. I've got this amazing picture of you, which in my mind looks like you're in the credits of Sex and the City. I literally like there's a there's a tutu skirt out of shot and you're wearing a blue buttoned up collar shirt. Amazing cat size sunglasses and a brown suede A-line miniskirt and some Charlotte Olympia flats and some tights. And you're hailing a cab. Yeah. And it's just, it's so New York to me. And I just, <laughs> I'm interested because you moved to, New, what year did you move to New York? 2009. So 2009, you moved over to New York. And then I think this picture is from when you'd been kind of back and forth for a couple of years. Yeah. But like, I'm interested to know if your, your clothes, your approach to clothes changed between the two cities and like do you feel different as a person in those cities and does that inform like the way that you dress so I moved to New York in 2009 I was very lucky because I was I managed to coerce people into giving me another television show and this time it was a talk show of my own called it's on with Alexa Chung and it was on MTV daily live for an hour that's a lot of TV that is a lot of TV to be responsible for (laughs) I mean, going from like Channel 4, which was really an ensemble cast of people, like this family feeling to it, like there was no hierarchy per se. Like you could be talking to the executive 
head of all of the channel and it would feel the same as talking to the runner that was kindly getting you a coffee to keep you alive after your hangover really kicked in. But then I went to America and I was transposed to this environment where it was very top down. So you had to book in an appointment with the head of, you know, TV or you had to, you know, everyone really respected the different roles and I just came in like a wrecking ball and was like hi I have no idea how to do, how to do this I've never presented on my own <laughs> um in terms of style so first of all I had to ship all my belongings over there and they took a while to arrive and then I was handed again this budget by MTV production to buy things but I wasn't allowed to keep them so it was just brilliant clothes that I was never allowed to own what so you'd buy it wear it on the tv and then somebody would go and return it to the store not return it to the store but they keep it in an archive I don't really know how it works but they're not allowed to give it to you it's like a big hoo-ha but because I was in America and social media might be emerging at this point but it was before like social media really kind of homogenized and globalized fashion in a way that there was less disparity between countries on style whereas in 2009, Nylon is still writing articles about British style and um, downtown and uptown Americans uh, in New York really means something. Yeah. Whereas now, obviously, everything's quite blurry and everyone just walks around in fucking leotards. Mm. Anyway, so I got to America and I was really terrified of having big shiny hair and <laughs> that I'd have to dress sexy, I guess. So I lent in even more to what I knew how to do best, which was kind of tomboyish sexless school uniform dressing also i hadn't tired yet of like my fascination with 60s fashion so this is very this is very mod this is like so chic though yeah so like the brown suede miniskirt which i actually can't wear anymore because it's so short that's i think why i've got black tights on and i mean i I would challenge anyone to try and rip those Charlotte Olympia cat shoes off my feet at that time. They were literally super glued on. Like I never wore anything else. It was just them. And uh, a really nice Prada blouse because around this time, Mrs. Prada became a great benefactor of mine. <laughs> oh, wow. What a benefactor to have. Did she get an iPod as well? What did you send to Mrs. Prada? No, I once sent her a, a drawing of some jewellery. So not even jewellery, just a drawing of a dream ring. She, I don't know why I did that. <laughs> oh, so she did actually get a letter. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking. But I, uh, I was obsessed with that Prada store in New York. You know, it's got like the big steep stairs. The one that's like a skate ramp in Soho. Yeah, and I rarely bought anything, but they knew me by name because I just like... My idea of fun is window shopping. Like I love just looking around and doing a stock take of shops. And as I say, like it extends beyond my natural interest in clothes in my own sphere. And I'll just like check out North Face. I'll be in like, <laughs> you know, a random cobbler. But New York is a really good setting for a British person to be freed of any kind of I think England can be quite weighty in our sort of preconceptions of each other based on like a lot of tells, basically. Whereas in America, you can just like sort of make it up. And, yeah. you know, I wasn't near my family. I had my own talk show. And so I started dressing like a lead singer, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and in your head, you were, yeah. In my head, I was marching around St. Mark's Place, like, you know, being either with the band or in the band. Amazing. And still at this point, I had a preoccupation with boys and bands and wanting to look the part. And so I was like, heavily influenced by like Anita Pallenberg or yeah. Pamela Debar and kind of all of the broads from yesteryear uh, or Stevie Nicks or Patti Smith. Just it was all to do with music still. Yeah. And there I am hailing a cab with Amani, Amani sack, which I love. Like, yeah, it's a great look. Also, like, you're really good at uniform dressing. Like, you keep talking about, like, emotionally stock-taking, like, going around. Is that where you're like, okay, so that's the next shirt I'm going to buy or, like, that's the next thing I'm going to buy because you have certain key items that you just kind of, you keep updating for yourself. So you're like, I feel like you're becoming more adventurous in that respect since you started your brand. Like you're much more open to different silhouettes because you're kind of, yeah. you know, you're working with clothes a lot more. So you're sort of trying different things out through your, through your job in that way. But at this point, I feel like you're very, you're, you're really good at this sort of nailing the essence of what it is you want to be. Yeah. I think it's like telegramming your personality and also like to give it the backstory. It's not a woe is me story, but Again, I'd moved away from all of my family and friends and like 
I think you can attest that 2008, 2009 might have been the peak of how much fun we were all having in London. Like it really, what we had the keys to the city, we were like, mm. it was so fun. And I took this opportunity in New York, which I don't regret, but you know, I was probably 26 or 25, 26 and moved to an unknown place with no contacts there whatsoever and then was hurried into the studio. So I wasn't having the time to like really make great friendships it took it took a while and I was quite lonely and I felt very alien there because we're countries sort of uh, divided by the a common language is really true like even though Americans speak English it's a very different thing and I realized how it really brought out a bit of like rebellion and and anger in me of like not being able to cue there or it was more frustration of not understanding the rules and in America, they love rules. They're like, you can't do that, ma'am. You can't do this, ma'am. Blah, blah, blah. And I was constantly sort of butting heads. Why do they have to call you sir and ma'am all the time? Because it's quite a military. It's quite like a... Yeah, that's what it is. It's like when you're in an airport and they're like, behind the line, sir. I'm like, oh, chill out. Yeah, it's like T minus three out. I don't know. It's quite army vibes, you know, quite rightly. Because they're, you know, they're a global superpower that really respect the military and like understandably i get it now i i speak american now but at the time i was just like yeah you do wow. having lost my tv show there after a couple of seasons yet again you'll notice a pattern here um i was feeling really shit about myself like i'd left everyone it was it was kind of humiliating to leave with fanfare and then have to come back with my tail between my legs and so i think i started taking great pride in what i was wearing and really it was more like armor and it became like yeah dress power dressing in my own way and like coming up with a very like potent brand almost at that time because fashion was a world and a community that then really embraced me and saved me basically in New York so I started being invited that was conversely the same year I was invited to the Met Gala for the first time so actually Anna Wintour and that community of people really helped me from falling on my ass with embarrassment. <laughs> I really want to talk about the Met Gala because you've been 10 times. I'm so old. <laughs> uh, my my research tells me, which is amazing. Like that's a re- like that's a real testament to like a longevity in a career though. Like to be invited to the Met, like that's such, that's a big testament. Like I've managed to go once <laughs> and in about the time you were wearing. Maybe maybe that's all you needed. Maybe you blew it out of the water. Maybe I did. Maybe it was all going down in those toilets and that was it. Game over. Not in the way that sounds. I just heard That it. sounds dodgy, isn't it? <laughs> it sounds dodgy, but honestly, it all happens in the toilet. What is it like going to the Met? Like, what was your first year like? I remember being in the in the queue in the cars because the cars are allowed in one at a time right so your, your queue in your car is for like two three blocks and you could hear the baying crowds like the baying literally there's no other word for it of the paparazzi <laughs> of the length of that staircase and it was the time that Aggie was like this huge model this huge deal on both sides of the Atlantic and it was just like I could hear them screaming from three blocks away we were like this nervously smoking cigarette who who was dressing you did you dress yourself that year no we went with Burberry nice yeah I think oh, oh we, we we went I think we were on the teen Vogue table but we were dressed by Burberry and I'd flown over hand carrying Aggie's dress and my suit and so I was pe- petrified to lose them as well but um what was your first year like were you shitting yourself well, my first year was such a kind of whirlwind anyway, because I'd had the talk show and we had like mad people, you know, it was like Cameron Diaz, Bradley Cooper, da, da, da. like I was suddenly like living this very surreal twilight life and not really being able to talk about it to anyone because everyone was so far away. So like even now stories will come up and I'd be like, oh yeah, I went to that person's and I, it's just such a weird time um so this was just an extension of surrealism for me and I was invited by Vogue to attend with Philip Lim who is now uh, a good friend of mine and he was really sweet he really got it and was like I want you to really feel like yourself I really like your style but um let's kind of work on it together and he had a mood board with a picture of Bianca Jagger on it and was like I I think it would be cool if you wore a suit and I was like oh 100% like so up for that I think we talked about it the other day but we were saying how now obviously it's like not that crazy that a girl would wear a suit to a big thing but you know it was America wearing flats on the red carpet was mad at that time 
And the Met Galas, or like at that time, people weren't as adve- like they weren't getting carried in by in eggs or like you know carried in as a gym- Egyptian god. <laughs> it was like it was gowns, big teeth, big hair. It was like tits, ass, big hair. It was the American, you know, that American shiny hair thing that you didn't want to be a part of when you were on it. Son, and now you've said that Bianca Jagger reference. I know the reference because I you know the the outfit you wore. It was like a black. Where she's got it on her shoulders and the, yeah. Yeah, and it's got a really wide um, sort of braces attached to the trouser and like a little kind of tied thing. That had braces underneath it though. The suit I'm wearing by Philip Limit has braces underneath. So later on, and it's actually a sequin white shirt. Amazing. So later on when I took the tuxedo off, it's a kind of t- a sequin blouse with the tux pants. It's He was amazing. I loved it. Um, but it was just like really mad and I didn't know who anyone was. I was on Nordstrom's table, didn't know who they were. Um, I was next to Jeffrey of Jeffrey, the store in New York, didn't know who he was. <laughs> uh, we went to an after party. I sat down in an area and then like some people came over and like, sorry, this is reserved for Oprah Winfrey. I was like, sorry, I'll just move. <laughs> um, and then Philip, you know, eventually we turned into pumpkins. We wanted to go home and he very kindly said his driver would take me home and I puked in the car on the way back. <laughs> hey, legend. <laughs> so that that was year one. You really uh, bit off everything you needed to from that first Met Ball. And you know, my friend that night was Kanye West or like maybe it was the year after, but one of the years I just hung out with Kanye West all night because it was pre, you know, Jesus. He wasn't like married to Kim. They'd probably not even met yet. Like he was kind of invited as a outsider and, and I'd known him via Philip because he was doing his tour costumes. And so we hung out, it was that year, we hung out with Kanye all night and Kanye really wanted to be... Well, he really wanted to be a designer at the time. And it was before he went to Paris to do that thing. So he was sort of shadowing Philip and a few designers that he liked to try and gain an education, which is like so admirable. He's yeah. He is an amazing man. That was about the time I bumped into Kanye in Tokyo, in uh, Le Baron in Tokyo, that just after the Taylor Swift gate, and he went to hide in Tokyo because people are so polite. No, And there are no paparazzi. Like paparazzi culture doesn't exist. So the perfect place to hide if the whole world once your blood is Tokyo. Wow. So he was in Tokyo and he was like, hey man, when are you going to do a t-shirt about me, man? And I was wasted. It was like four in the morning and I didn't even miss a beat. And I just was like, come all over my chest, Kanye West. And he was like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. And I was like, too far, too far. It was I like too much. Yeah, too much. No, I was like, you asked for it. Did you make him one? No. Oh, I should have done. He well, he came to my show a couple of times, um, and he came in once so late that he only made the finale. Oh, that's so cool. He came to a show. That's brilliant. That was the same year that um, he came into the after party as we put on American Boy and Remy. Oh, my God, I remember that. I'm sorry, of course. The best after party I've still ever been to ever. And um, so he walked in with Amber Rose, who was his girlfriend at the time, and a friend of ours was DJing, and she put on American Boy. And as he walked up to the sort of DJ booth, she handed him a microphone and went, here you go, your bit. And he stood on the table with the decks on it and rapped along live to American Boy at my after party. Oh! I was on the other side of the room talking to my mom and I was like, Mom, just, sh- I just like legged it across the room. <laughs> I want to talk about your most recent Met Ball as well. So you've been 10 times and you've been with like some amazing designers. You've been with Philip Lim, Erdem, Christopher Kane. Uh, Takoon. And Nina Ricci under Peter. That was it. Um, which was the blue strapless one. Which was the blue strapless one. And also like the most glamorous fitting I've ever had because I had to take the Eurostar. I was working here and couldn't stay in Paris. So I took the Eurostar. Then they gave me a motorbike courier man. So I got on the back and they zoomed me to Nina Ricci HQ. It was a bit like in that movie, like the Think Pink yeah. song, where all the fabrics are coming out. <laughs> and they were just like, choose a fabric. And I was like, oh, wow, that one. And then he just, you know, was a wizard, did it all. And then I went back on the motorbike and went back to England and then saw him again in America. And it was just perfecto. Love that. This year, well, last year, because this year has just been cancelled, but last year where the theme was camp and now you make your own dresses under Alexa Chung. That must be like such double pressure because not only are you the designer and the creator of the idea, but also you're the 
the person wearing it as well. So there's literally nobody else you can blame if you get rinsed. It's like, oh, it's because the stylist put it with a bad shoe or the, ha the hair and makeup was a disaster. You're like, no, 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 still me. It's like everything is on you. Yeah, it's horrible. It's also like, yeah, the, uh, the pinnacle of, the pinnacle of overachieving, just being like, look at me, I did this, this, and yeah, it's really scary. But that year, you know, ordinarily if you're invited to the Met Gala, you're invited by a designer and you sit at a table, so you're with a companion. Whereas when I've gone in the last two years, I've had to take myself and go alone. So I literally arrive alone and I leave alone. <laughs> it's like very depressing. So you have to throw up in your own car this time. <laughs> I sure did. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, I pre, I preloaded tunes. I had like, uh, Oasis song. Like my, I, I, I got a driver for the night cause you can't get out of there. So it's like hard to get a taxi. So you have to like try to pre-book one. And I, I'd had this guy before. And so I asked him to like preload the car with Brit pop tunes in case I could take everyone home. And then I got in the car on my own. <laughs> it's really sad. Oh no. <laughs> I was like, get ready. You better get ready. Cause... Listen, Rob, I'm telling you, I'm going to bring like 10 people in this vehicle. It's going to be massive. <laughs> it's going to be me and Oprah taking it straight to bungalow. Exactly. It was just a sad old me going to the airport. Um, anyway, so this year camp was the theme. And mm. that's not necessarily like an area I'm, ne I'm comfortable in. Or so I thought just because I have a lot of gay friends that take the piss out of my footwear and like that I'm not fabulous enough. And, <laughs> you know, like that I'm never wearing anything tight enough or so, like whatever. I'm just like rinsed a lot by my friends. My favourite one of those stories is when you asked a mutual friend of ours, Richard, why do gays not like me? And he said, because you wear brown. Because I wear brown. <laughs> And actually one time I got rinsed by a girl because I was talking to this boy and in LA and uh, she didn't like it. And then I happened to be in the kitchen with him and I looked over at his phone and she sent loads of brown shoe emojis about me to him. <laughs> and so she had summarized me thus, a brown shoe. And I think that must be some kind of vibe. I don't even own brown shoes. Yeah, I've, there's not one brown shoe in any of these. Um, but the, the camp look, I... I think is kind of a real testament to your skill of being able to interpret something as non-Alexa Chung in a way that is really feels really true to the theme. Like you've got a marabou hem just below your knickers, for God's yeah. sake. But it's this it's this silhouette of you hailing a taxi like three years before in that brown mini. Like it's like you you know your essence so well, but it's really well done. And the beret just The way I figured it out was like yeah, I went back to music again and I was like, all right, well actually music historically has been camp as fuck. Like Elton John, David Bowie, Adam Ant. I was really inspired by like Elton John's headgear and the marabou and like the colour palette came from his performance outfits and then at the same time David Bowie when he was like um Spiders from Mars Ziggy Stardust Zone he wore this really cool very cropped Japanese tunic thing and you could see his knickers so originally it was going to be a, a long top with matching sparkly knickers but then I got too paranoid about saggy bum and semi light and I was like I, I can't I can't quite commit to this. And we also had a platform boot that was incredible to wear with it, but it got fucked up in, in the productions. So it didn't end up happening, but it was meant to be with this really insane boot, which is based on, there's a picture of Bianca Jagger with a AAA pass on her sandal and it's like a platform. Oh yeah, like I've, yeah, I've seen that, the white shoe. Exactly, yeah. So it was just really fun. And I think that really informed like the essence of the evening because I, I felt like myself, but I also felt like a f more fun camp version with this like yeah. girl guides. Cause then I thought as well, camp's about like being whoever you want to be. Like it doesn't have to make sense necessarily. It's just like, I'm ace. It's like what Rue says about drag race. Drag doesn't hide who you are. It reveals who you are. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was revealed as a uh, cookie selling girl guide from the seventies and also weirdly the 1800s. Cause that sequin, pattern was the print the floral embroidery yeah it was from a corset that i found in uh, the design library so i was like looking at that as the inspiration for the pattern amazing um but it led to the most fun i've ever had at the met gala because it was such a frivolous and the spirit of that night really came through the year before it had been catholicism and it had like a regal kind of like quite heavy atmos to it but the camp year 
people were going all out and it was like a really fun costume party, which is what it's meant to be. So, you know, I think when we look at like the psychology of clothes, I think it really did reveal everyone's most fun camp self. But also you weren't lugging around like three and a half metres of chul every time you needed to go to the toilet. Like it's... Yeah, exactly. That's one of my memories was the two Olsen twins pushing chul into a toilet cubicle with Claire Danes in it because her <laughs> ball gown was like too big for her to fit into the cubicle. And I was like... Oh my God. Oh no, she had a light up ball gown that year. What? Claire Danes did? With the like weird tubes going through it. One year I was buying Claire Danes, she's ha- she had like a light up dress like cinderella like when katie perry did that one that was battery operated yeah there's a lot of battery operation going on at the met gala which doesn't make it sound so <laughs> chic but she looked she looked lovely hen do you remember when we went to um go and look at the olsen twins yes <laughs> because whilst i was looking at pictures of this i also found a picture of you about like on that same trip of theirs and you'd gone to the the dinner launch and like we'd just gone to look to like this the personal shopping suite in Selfridges to like go and see them and then you'd gone to the dinner and I was like wow wow we were very uh very fond of the Austin twins I still am I love the row oh obsessed but um my favourite thing is when I saw them in Paris once and they were both walking through the Celine store I was with Katie Hillier who can shop in the Celine store and I can't <laughs> and they were just walking through with their bags on the elbow like when it was the huge bags that were bigger than them and to every member of staff they encountered they just kept going bonjour how are you bonjour how are you <laughs> and I was like pick a language girls like say bonjour ça va or hello how are you it was like bonjour how I are you I love bonjour how <laughs> are you bonjour how, bonjour, are, how you? are you so music has always informed like your fashion choices, both for the brand and in your designing work, as well as just kind of your personal choice. And one of those places that just really, for me, feels like you just sort of fit is Glastonbury. There's something that emits from your every being when you look at pictures of you at Glastonbury, where you're just like, okay, this is where I live. This is at home. Yeah, this is home because you get to wear the wellies and the barber that like you grew up wearing that you feel so comfortable in and then you pair it with like a metallic silver dress or like a pair of white clean trousers and I just think like it kind of satisfies your masculine feminine like so well and you just like you just sort of you're like hi hi you're like hi welcome to my house how are you yeah please come in don't get the floor muddy (laughs) but do you think a lot about what you were to festivals? Because it's become this whole thing now of like, how do you start your Glastonbury wardrobe planning? I love Glastonbury. It's my, it's just my dream place. It's a field which I feel comfy in, as you mentioned, because I grew up in Hampshire in the middle of nowhere, sort of wearing country attire anyway. Plus, then there's this music elements. There's like very exciting bands to go and watch and performers walking around in like mad stuff. Not just watch, let's be let's be fair. Exactly. <laughs> lots of exciting bands to watch and... <laughs> Entice. <laughs> Getting dressed can be challenging because, you know, as much as you want it to just be like, um, you, you want to feel really fun and expressive in that moment, it's also the chances are it's going to rain and be freezing cold. So... You need a really nice, warm, practical knitwear piece. You also need to really think about the trousers or the shorts. Like if you're wearing hot pants, are your thighs going to chafe together? Is that going to be a problem? Like if you're wearing a dress. This is the most practical thing that I've ever, like I would not imagine you sitting there being like, well, it's I'll need a jumper. No, because you don't want anything that's going to send you home, Hen. You don't want to like fluff it, for example, on the Friday and then leave on the Saturday morning. No one wants to spoil sport at Glastonbury. Anyway, so I just love getting dressed and... I also love the fashion it's thrown out in the past. I guess like looking at old pictures of Woodstock or way cooler festivals that we'll never get to attend again is always very inspiring. But I cannot not mention the pièce de résistance. Kate Moss attended National Festival probably like twice in the early 2000s and nailed festival dressing in those like four images beyond any, like no one can ever compete ever again. So like she's done it. And then all we can do is just be pale iterations, like shadows of her shadow, trying to trying to get at it. 
So I take a lot of inspiration from Mossy and... She's the Glastonbury girl. But not just that, but like, it's funny to me. I find, I like humour or wit as well when you're getting dressed. Like, I think that's something that's very appealing to me. So like the audacity to wear a silver mini dress in a muddy field is what makes it then look kind of weird or like... That was actually from that 90s Vogue picture where they're wearing the foil blankets in the Glastonbury shoot that they did. Yeah, the Gemma, with the Gemma Ward one up on the hill. Exactly. Like a magpie, like any anything shiny or, you know, fun in a, in a sea of mud will look great. Alternatively, you can just like really lean into the like country gent and do a barber. So one year I forgot to bring said barber because I was like, whatever, it's probably not going to rain. But they really are the essential item for Glastonbury because they're waterproof. You can use them as a blanket to sit on or like my friend Jack did, you can use it as a sleeping bag if you zip them together. Um, but I'd forgotten it. I was a spoiled brat. I text someone, uh, a publicist I was working with at the time, and I was like, "I, it's a disastrous truck. I've forgotten my bar, but I don't know what to do. And within hours, um, I was sitting down on a bench somewhere and I heard this, Alexa, Alexa Trung? And I was like, yeah. And I turned around and this poor guy was hand delivering a barber to the middle of the field I was in. And we from we all just started chanting, because we were quite drunk, Barber Christmas. It's Barber Christmas. Barber Christmas is here. <laughs> <laughs> Did that story come up in your first um, collaboration design meeting when you went to the barber head office? <laughs> well, I think that's why they liked me. <laughs> yeah. <okay. laughs> I mean, I think that's why they delivered it. Because they already liked me. And Alexa has really generously, you've brought in uh, one of your very own Alexa Chung barber jackets, which will be available to buy on Vestiaire Collective with all of the proceeds, including 100% of the commission being donated to your charity, which is? It's going to go to um, Food for London Now, who are helping uh, people have access to food that obviously uh, these horrific times have uh, rendered impossible. So if you want to get your hands on Alexa's barber without her in it, I'd like to add, make sure you download the Vestiaire Collective app and search What Were You Thinking in the search bar. Oh my God, I'm Barber Christmas. (laughs) Oh, well, that was amazing. Thank you, Alexa. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks, Hen. And thank you to you, everybody who listened. I'll be back next time to hear all about some more life-changing fashion moments. Until then, I'll keep you entertained on Instagram at What Were You Thinking Podcast and TikTok and Twitter at WWYT underscore podcast. If you liked what you heard, please let me know. And if you didn't, please keep it to yourself. Five star ratings only, if you don't mind. I'm going to check out the Vestiaire Collective app and see if anyone's bought Alexa's item just yet. And if not, I might buy it myself for uh, next year's Glastar. But please don't be cancelled next year. 